The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Okay, this is the second part of the Relate series that we're doing at the moment. We were each made for relationship, but it comes at a cost. True friendships require unwavering support, unconditional love, forgiveness, honesty, and grace. Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has an unreliable friend soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who can, who can we be friends? So how can we be a friend that sticks? How can we be a friend that sticks? Well, last week, Johnny spoke about loving people. How can I love like Jesus? How we treat others is the surest gauge of how the gospel is in our life. I was looking at this over here. For those who are visitors here, and you're really welcome today, this is the soul plan. So this is where we've been writing down on here over the last year, from the beginning of the year actually, we started writing down the names of people that we'd love to see saved. I tell you what, if your name is on this list, it's great you're here today. I've got a couple of neighbours on this list. Do you know what? I don't think they listen to the podcast, so I can probably say this. When we first moved into our house four years ago, there's nothing worse than somebody popping their head over the fence every ten minutes and going, Hello! Hello. Thinking, oh, for goodness sake, I wanted to move. I moved to a smaller house. I didn't want this. I didn't want this. And I said to God, this is driving me around the bend. (laughs) It's driving me around the bend. In fact, we put a bigger fence up. Isn't that what you do? I don't know about you. I like privacy. You do that, really? You know what? And I, I thought, I can't be done with this. It's really not good. But those who know me well will know that sometimes when we get wound up over something here, about whatever it is, an ordinary thing, I say, but my neighbour's still not saved. Now, it's very easy to use a little glib term like that, but it's true. My neighbour's still not saved. So my neighbour's on there, along with his wife. And it, it is actually... I'm only a few minutes in and I'm already emotional. It's true that my heart has been changed by what God has been doing in me, not him, in me. The other day he had a problem with his knee. I, my mother-in-law said this to somebody, because uh, we still haven't got our fences high enough yet, we can still see him walking down the garden. And he's walking down the garden with... Uh, Crutches. I thought, he's on crutches. What's going on here? So I banged on the door, as you do. Well, I've started doing it now. I said, what's, what's wrong with him? And she said, why don't you come in? Hang on. I've now been invited in. We have been in before, but this is a bit strange. Sunday afternoon, I'm walking in. There he is sitting there. How are you, you know? Oh, it's terrible, my knee, and this and that, and so on and so forth. I'm, I'm not naming names here, you can tell. And, I, and so I, I said... I said, would you be happy for me to pray for you? 
yes. Come on now. I'm thinking, wow, I'm in their living room now. Both of them now. This is a guy I was having issues with not long ago, thinking, this is amazing. So I then thought, well, you know, I'm now sitting on the other side of the room, but actually I do want to lay hands on his knee. I thought, I said, would you be embarrassed if I come and lay hands on, on your knee? No. So now I'm sitting on a, a little stool in front of the two of them, praying for them. I'm praying for that guy's knee to be healed in the name of Jesus. If this man is going to come to God, we want to see God moving in their life. As we pray for people, folks, well, we, first thing we do, we need to pray for people. For those people. We've got them on there, we've got them on the list, so we're naming them. Let's pray for them and let's invite them. I invited him to come today, actually. I said, shall I invite him to come? I said, come on, you're going to have to come and support me. You know, there's going to, no one going to be here. It's not entirely true. But it was, you know. And he said, mm. I said, look, I'm not embarrassed. You know, we don't need to be embarrassed. If you're inviting somebody, don't be embarrassed. I wasn't friends with him to start with. <laughs> no, I am a friend of his now. And, you know, and I, I do, you know, because we want to be liked, don't we? We want to be liked. We do want to like people, and we want to be liked. So you don't want to be rejected. You don't want to feel, I'm rejected. Why do I want to be rejected by a neighbour or a friend or a colleague? No, we don't want to be rejected. I know that. But the truth is, if you get to know somebody well, you know, I joked with them. I said, look, I said, we love living here. We have such great neighbours. And, you know, because you want good neighbours. You want to pray for your neighbour. We pray for our neighbour every day. I said to them on the way out, I said... We pray, you know, we pray for you every day. You don't, do you? Of course we do. That's what we believe in. I think it's right to tell your neighbours that you're praying for them every day, because we are. Because I want to see them change. They know that. I mean, I'm not too blatant to say, you're going to, you know, I, I, I want to give them a bit of space. Today I'm going to speak about forgiveness, and the title of the sermon is Forgiveness is Here. I can remember the first, when I was first saved, I can, I can remember talking to a friend of mine at the time and sharing faith with him. It's always funny when you share faith, and particularly if you've been a, become a Christian and you haven't told anyone before. I can remember saying to somebody once, a colleague, I took him out for a, for a beer and I finally plucked up courage to turn around and tell him I was a Christian. He, and he said to me, of all the people I know, you're the last person I thought was a Christian. <laughs> I'm thinking... That's not what I wanted him to say. I wanted him to say, there's something about you, Clive. I didn't know what it was. I, I, there was something special about you. And I, now I... No, it wasn't like that at all. This chap, a uh, different chap, I, I can remember where I was, actually. And I, I was actually in a, in a curry house in Brighton. It's funny you remember these details, really. But I don't remember the slightest thing I really said to him. But obviously, we did talk about sin. Because I remember particularly what he said back to me. He said that he didn't sin. I thought, hang on, you, you don't think you sin? No, I don't sin, he said. Any mistakes in life is not sin, just poor choices that need resolving. Okay, you see, if there's no God, perhaps there's no sin. I, that sort of stayed with me all these years many years since I became a Christian, that people actually believe that they don't sin. 
Of course, it's God who convicts us of our sin. It's God who does that. But what is it really? What is sin? John 16.9 says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in God. The world's overall sin, if it refuses to believe in God. Well, in my view, not believing in God doesn't help remove the reality of sin, as my friend believed. It's the very opposite. We all know it's the way of mankind not to act the right way. The actual propensity to go against God's ways. And babies, for those of us who've got children and grandchildren, we know they're not born good. They might look good. <laughs> they need to be trained in a different way. It's sort of the way it is, isn't it, really? And ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve, it's been like that in the Garden of Eden. And you remember how it was there. Somehow or other, they wanted to do the wrong thing, not the right thing. I was just thinking about it. If you look at the... Uh, I'm just going to look at this for a second, and it won't come up on the screen. But if you look at the whole thing to do with Cain and Abel, so situation there, the two sons, almost immediately, they get themselves into difficulties here. Abel brought a gift, and Cain brought a gift. And for reasons that we could debate, but I'm not going to now, God didn't like Cain's gift. It wasn't acceptable. And it made him very angry. It says in uh, verse 4, he, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? And it says here, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it, subdue it and be its master. Sadly, Cain didn't do that. He went out the, uh, a few days later into the field and he killed his brother. Sin is crouching at your door. And we get other, other examples, don't we, in the, in the Old Testament. I was really coming to mind when you think of David and Bathsheba. Um, and, you know, that is such a sort of sad story. I mean, if you think of people in the, in the Old Testament, you know, the people who were sort of the great and the good, David's up there, isn't he? A man after God's heart, it says. What a, what a king, what a man. And yet, despite the fact that he had a number of wives... He saw a woman, he fancied. And he arranged to have her brought over to his place, over to the palace, and slept with her, and she became pregnant. And when the news was heard, it came out, he thought, I'm going to have to try and hide this. And he arranged for her husband to be killed. Wow. Wow. The interesting thing about, about David was his response, actually, to all that. Because in the end, of course, he's rebuked. Nathan shows him up and says, this is what's happened. And David confessed to Nathan, and he said, 
I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. I know what I've done. For many people, of course, in society, sin doesn't mean much. Have I done anything wrong, really? Is it a sin? For those of us who are Christians and those of us who know God, we know that there's a rising in us of actually no knowledge of sin. We're convicted, aren't we? When we know we're not, when we've done things wrong, we're convicted. What is the different definition of sin? Billy Graham gave the following answer. A sin is any thought or action that falls short of God's will. God is perfect, and anything we do that falls short of his perfection is sin. The Bible uses many examples or word pictures to illustrate what this means. For example, it tells us that sin is like an archer who's missed the target. He draws back his bow and sends the arrow on its way. But instead of hitting the bullseye, it veers off course and misses the mark. The arrow may only miss by a little bit, or it might miss by a great deal, but the result is the same. The arrow doesn't land where it's supposed to. The same is true of sin. God's will is like the center of that target. And when we sin, we fall short of his will or miss the mark. And this is something that we do every day, as the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall fall short of the glory of God. Even when we're not aware of it, we commit sin by the things we do or fail to do or the things that we think. This is why we need Christ. For only he can forgive us from all our sins. The only way, the only, only he can help us live the way we should. We can't forgive ourselves, nor can we change our hearts and make ourselves better in God's eyes. So, all have sinned and fought short of the glory of God. I was thinking about Zacchaeus, actually. Do you remember him? He climbed up a tree to see Jesus. And he did that. He climbed up there and Jesus said to him, Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home. Fancy that, Jesus walking past. I want you to come down. I want to come into your house today. So he quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people, of course, were displeased, tells us. He's gone to be a a guest with a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I give half my wealth to the poor Lord and if I've cheated people on their, on their taxes I will give them back four times as much Jesus responded salvation has come this day to this home for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost here's a man a notorious sinner according to society who was convicted of his sin. 
he met with Jesus and was convicted of his wrongdoing and went about changing things. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But how big is sin? How big is it? Small sins? Big sins? There's an example, for those who've been on the Alpha course will know this example, okay? If you turn around and say to somebody, well, who is probably the most, apart from Jesus, who's the most righteous person in the world? If you sat here for a while, you'd probably all go, we'll go with Mother Teresa, shall we? Okay, we'll go with her. I think she'll work. And who, who's the opposite end? Who's the one who actually is definitely going to hell? Most people would say Hitler. Okay, one or two might say Idi Amin or something like that. But, you know, that's where we're going. So we've got Mother Teresa, Hitler. Okay, folks, so where are we then? Most people go, well, I'll I go, go, go here, okay? I, I, Mother Teresa, maybe not. But, of course, the truth of the matter is the standard isn't the ceiling. The standard's the sky. No one. Not even Mother Teresa. None of us are good enough. None of us hit the mark. We all fall short of the glory of God because of our sin. No matter what our, well, no matter what we've done, no matter how small, no matter how big it is, none of us can get into heaven because of what we've done. It's only by faith that we're saved. So you can pedal as much as you like, folks, it doesn't get you to heaven. We can peddle because we're responding to Jesus and because we're serving him. But we won't get there because, of try, because we try hard. Because all have short, fallen short of the glory of God. The wonder of what God the Father has done is that the penalty of our sin is death. And yet, he freed us from that penalty through dying on the cross in our place. Now, for many of us here, you think, well, you know what? I know that, Clive. I've been listening to that for years. I know that. I know what? I know that when I go to heaven, because I believe I will, and I stand in front of Jesus, wow, I will plead what is called in religious terms the blood of Jesus. Perhaps you won't get that next week when Adrian comes to speak, because that's a religious terminology, isn't it? But the truth is, it's because Jesus died on the cross, because he took our sin, my sin, that I will have the freedom to go, I'm I can only stand here because I believe that Jesus lived, and he died on the cross, and he rose again, and he lives now. Amen. If any of you here folks actually don't believe that, it's not a good news story for you today, okay? You need to sort yourselves out in terms of that and come before him. You often say on Alpha, you know what? Do I believe in God? Maybe I could go with that. Do I believe Jesus lived? Well, it's sort of historical, probably. Do I believe he died on a cross? Well, actually, a lot of people died and lots of people died on a cross. I could go with that. Do I believe that he died on a cross and he rose again? 
Whoa, oh, hang on, hang on, that's a big one now. And do I believe that he, he died and he rose again on the third day and he's alive today? Wow. Because if that's what you believe, you're a Christian. If you believe that Jesus is alive today, having risen from the dead, and that he died, that we might have life. Hallelujah. What a great thing. What a great thing. It's a privilege. It's a privileged thing for us. It's privileged that we are forgiven for the sins that we've done of the past, of, of now, and of the future. We are forgiven. If the people are, are new Christians here thinking, well, okay, I, I get my head around that, but I've, I'm dogged by sins of the past. Your sins are forgiven. I want you to leave this room knowing if you believe in Jesus and you put your trust in him, your sins are forgiven. All of them. Completely. Of course it doesn't add up. You're thinking, well, how is that possible? But that's what the Bible says. And that's what Jesus said. And that's what we believe. We hold on to that. That truth. Peter said... Each one of them must turn away from your, each one of you must turn away from your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus so that your sins will be forgiven and you will receive God's gift the holy spirit so that your sins will be forgiven oh by the way it mentioned baptism there we're going to have a baptism here on the 2nd of September so if you're not baptized and you're a christian you're not baptized there's your opportunity to be baptised, because that's the teaching that we have here, and that's what it says in the Bible too. We'd love to baptise you here. And it says also in John 1, verse 1, uh, sorry, chapter 1, John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our wrongdoing. There is actually a connection, however, between the forgiveness we've received from God and the forgiveness we give to others. A connection between the forgiveness we have and the forgiveness we give to others. It says in here, it says actually, just after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, where you remember it would say there, forgive us as we have forgiven those who sinned against us, so that's in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we have forgiven those who sinned against us in the Lord's Prayer. It then goes on to say, if you forgive others the wrongs they've done to you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. Okay, I'll go with that. That's quite good, isn't it? I'll go with that. I'll do that again to you, okay? If you forgive others the wrongs they've done to you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive others, then your Father in heaven will not forgive the wrongs you have done. Oh, that's a bit tougher, that is, isn't it? Our forgiveness seems to be connected to the extent to which we're going to forgive others. Wow. Are there people that you're thinking of now that I need to forgive, that you need to forgive. 
when I'm speaking here about that, are people coming to mind? Because that, that's what God does. We have a responsibility, folks, to forgive people. Jesus says it. There's a tradition, you know, in, in there was a tradition, it may still be the case, that's a Jewish tradition, that you had to forgive somebody three times. So, you know, I suppose if somebody's cheated you or stolen something or, I don't know, whatever it might be, a domestic, whatever, back in the day, when Jesus was with his disciples, three times was the number. After that, you could probably not forgive them anymore. You go, three times. So the disciples were there with Jesus and they were talking about a number of issues. They were talking about, actually, how you get on with other Christians and some of the other ways in which you had to deal with other Christians and sort things out. What we'd say, sort out things in the church. Church was just being established at that point. And I can imagine them sitting there, maybe it wasn't quite this, but I can imagine that Jesus is lying around, whatever they did, talking to the disciples and teaching them about things. And Peter turned around and said, how many times do you think we should forgive people? Because, and he said, he said, do you think it should be seven times? Now, I think he probably thought, well, I won't go with the three. All right. And I'm going to go to a bit higher than twice, but seven was a sort of one of those numbers, you know. It's a special number. Uh, and so he went seven times. And Jesus said to him, no, no, you can't forgive somebody seven times. You're going to have to forgive somebody seven times 70. Seven times 70? 490? You're doing the maths, I know. 490? That's ridiculous. Yes. That's, that's more than you can do, isn't it? You can't go, well, hang on, I've, I've forgiven them now, you know. 430. We're getting close to the end now. It's never going to happen that way, is it? It's, it's basic, I mean, you have to forgive them. And he went on to tell them this story, this parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's in Matthew 18, 23 to 27. And he said, actually, that the kingdom of God, this is God's kingdom, is like this. This is the description. This is what it's about. The kingdom of God can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who'd borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he, that he be sold. He be sold. Not just his stuff, him. Along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. Wow. But the man, man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. Wow. That's what God does for us, you know, isn't it? That's what we just described. I love that story. I mean, this parable is fantastic up to this point. Somehow or other, it, 
goes another direction slightly after this. Such an impossible debt could never be paid, just like my sin. But when the man left the king, he, he went to a fellow servant who owed him thousands, a few thousand dollars, just a few thousand. And he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. This fellow fell down before him and begged him for more time. It seems familiar, doesn't it? He's begging him now. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor couldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Well, folks, that says something about forgiveness, doesn't it? About our reaction to others in terms of forgiving people, holding on to grudges, holding on to things of the past that have happened to us, sweeping them under the carpet and moving on, rather than dealing with them. I mean, how do you do this? How do you forgive that boss who's been unkind to you? Or, you know, the one who demoted me, the one who perhaps even sacked me. I didn't deserve it, or held me back. And as I'm, th I'm talking, are you thinking of circumstances, people that Actually, you know what? You need to forgive. How do I forgive a member of the family that doesn't love me? He's unkind, who won't forgive me? My third point is the forgiveness of others. The forgiveness of others. David, uh, sorry, Daniel, you remember he had a number of dreams. We've had a lot about this, haven't we, recently? Jonathan and Johnny spoke so well about, about Daniel. And you had a situation there of, in Daniel 4. And I'll read it to you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belthazar, which is difficult to say, Belthazar, was overcome for a time. He was frightened by the meaning of the dream. Now, the dream was the one of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar and it was about the fact that he was going to go and be sent out um, and he was going to lose his, uh, his kingship for a while and he was going to go into the forest and so on. And he was alarmed about having to bring this dream to him. And the king said, Belshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream. What does it mean? 
Balthazar, that's Daniel, said, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would have happened to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. Now, the reason I'm telling you that, I'm not terribly well, actually, but the reason I'm telling you about that is here is Daniel, who is devastated by a dream he's had for Nebuchadnezzar. Who was Nebuchadnezzar to him? He was responsible for the destruction of his country, his home. And, you know, and this is a man he might have thought, do you know what? The fact he's going to lose his being a king and he's going to go into the wilderness for a number of years, seven years, I think it was. Good. I'm pleased about that. Come on, bring it on. But no, he was devastated. He was devastated for the king. Think, how did he do that? Daniel had forgiven him. And as a result of that, God was able to use him. Very often we have wrong, been wronged by someone, but we find it difficult to forget the past. We may be glad when the person suffers. Forgiveness means leaving the past behind. Can you love someone who hurts you? Can you serve someone who mistreats you? We need to ask God to forgive, to help you, help us forgive and forget and to love. You never know how God's going to use you in your actions in the future. We had to ask God to help us. And it says in uh, Ephesians 4, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Band, maybe you'd like to come back up again. We're going to take communion in a minute. And communion is an opportunity to respond to what I've been talking about. I don't know about you, but when you come to, I come to communion, you think, well, I, here's an opportunity to sort of offload the baggage since I last did communion. It is a bit like that, isn't it? You think, well, I, don't, I can't come to communion with a load of baggage. Which is true, of course, and it's a, an important time. I can remember once being in a, a service, um, again, many years ago, and Gan and I were in, at this church, and, and while I was sitting in the service, and I'm not sure what the guy was saying, but I felt, I felt from God that I needed to go to my sister and apologise to my sister and ask her to forgive me. Now, I don't remember what it was all about, actually. It doesn't really matter you can't remember what it's all about because that's not the point. The point was this, and I'll only say this for illustration's purpose, okay? I needed to, my sister needed, hang on, which way round? My sister did the wrong thing, okay? She should take the action, not me. But God said to me, you need to go to her and ask for forgiveness. And we came out of the church, and I expressed this to Gail, and we drove to her house. And I walked in the door, and I just hugged her. And I said, I'm sorry. And it, it went. But that's what we're called to do, folks. Now, I also have a situation once when somebody else preached about forgiveness. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Clive, I just want, to, I want you to know that I forgive you for what you did to me five years ago. You were very rude. 
I thought, well, that's not terribly helpful to me, okay? Because I didn't know I was rude. I wouldn't want to be. So if you've got a thought about somebody, you think, I'm just going to just go, right, right, I'll forgive you for the way you were, mate. I need to hear from God, actually, to say how, how you react to it. Let's be... We want to ask God to change us. Now, I'm going to tell you something else now, which some of you will know about. So about 15 years ago here in the church, I can't believe it's that long ago, and there's a few of us here still here from those days, we had quite a, a disruption of things. You know, in churches, those who have been in churches for ages, you'll know these things happen. Some precious friends of ours, people who established a church here over time, decided that the direction of the church here wasn't what they wanted. And so there was a whole lot of stuff going on. Okay. And a, a lot of people, well, a lot of people left and they went somewhere else. Now, what does that do? It hurts. It hurts. And what do you think? Well, I'll tell you what I used to think. Where they go, I hope they, they don't have good Sunday mornings. Maybe they haven't got a band, that's good. I know what you're thinking, and this is what we're thinking, isn't it? It's unforgiveness. They hurt me. They planted a new church. It's never going to work, is it? Well, I hope it doesn't, because you know they might take people from here. That's what you're thinking. We all think that sort of thing, don't we? It's not godly. It's unforgiveness. I thought, I can't live with this. I can't live with this nonsense. It's not what Jesus does. I used to talk to Gail about it. Oh, it hurts. I don't know, particularly what it was, I started, decided to start blessing them. Bless them, Lord. Bless their services. Bless their church. Let them thrive. We need another church in Bromley. Of course we do. We need to see people saved. God changed my heart. He dealt with it. Because I asked him to, I said, I can't deal with this unforgiveness. It's not what we want. Folks, I'd say to you, if you've got some unforgiveness to deal with, you need to deal with it. You need to ask God. Only God can do it. Only God can do it. You can't try harder. Oh, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive them. You need to act as God says. Choose to forgive them. Ask God and say, I want to forgive these people, this person, this family person. I don't want to be a situation where I'm actually struggling every time I see them. I've got some friends of ours aren't Christians. And you've got three kids, well, they're all adults now, and the two brothers don't talk. Dreadful. It's a dreadful situation. And they haven't been talking for 10 to 15 years. It affects the whole family. We don't want that as Christians. We don't want anyone to have it. If you've got it in your family in any sense, you're the peacemaker. You're the peacemaker. Pray for them. Pray for the circumstances where you can spread God's love into that situation when it's really difficult. Back in the day when Jesus was around, of course they didn't have communion because he turned around and said, 
do this in remembrance of me. That's why we're going to take bread and wine. For those who believe in Jesus, we're going to do this to remember that he lives today. But at the time, they used to bring gifts to the altar. That's where the way they got their forgiveness. They came and they bought their pigeon or whatever it was and forgiveness. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 23. If you're about to offer your, your gift to God at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar and go at once and make peace with your brother and then come back and offer your gift to God. Now I know that this I've described isn't the same as having communion so I don't want to put pressure on anyone to say well you shouldn't have communion because you've got you know I don't say that but I do want to challenge you to say well actually there's some things I've got to go away and sort out there's some forgiveness I need to deal with there's somebody I've got to get forgiven my heart even though I may not say that to them Father we just want to give thanks to you Lord God for your great forgiveness to us Lord God we want to thank you for what you've done for us on the cross, Lord Jesus, how you died, how you rose again for us to forgive us of our sins. We're so thankful to you. I'm going to pass the bread round and uh, as I say, if you're a Christian, that's great. If you're not, don't be embarrassed. Just pass it on. Just ask God to forgive you, deal with, speak to him.